prophet, preacher, sermon leader, rector, reverend, deacon, elder, what the hell is a pastor? Uh, so entropy and the sustaining of creation. Entropy and the sustaining of creation. Joe, what the hell is entropy? What a great question. So I, uh, oh goodness, I was going to do the comparison to like Shakespeare's sonnets to the second law of thermodynamics. And then I realized that like people are on different levels with even that. So entropy kind of broadly is this idea that everything is always decaying to a lower energy state that like the universe inherently tends toward large-scale disorder. So if you've heard of anybody talk about like the heat death of the universe, what that is is when we've got uh, maximum entropy. So there is nothing ordered anymore in the universe. All of the molecules in the universe are free and out there and just kind of existing. And slowly they are losing their energy and vibrating down to absolute zero where there is, there's no movement whatsoever. Because in thermodynamics, heat, heat is movement. If you're moving, you're generating heat, basically. And so the heat death of the universe is when everything is still and there is nothing. And the universe tends toward that disorder where nothing is put back together and nothing is moving, like nothing is functioning anymore. It's just everything is torn apart and quiet and nothing. And that's the heat death of the universe. And so in, in the second law of thermodynamics, really what that means is that you have to put energy into something in order to make it ordered. So if you're going to build something, you're going to have to put energy into it to build it and also to maintain it because it's going to tend toward disorder. Does that make sense? Gotcha. Yes. Yes, I follow. So I... What I have always found kind of fascinating, like people, people who are thinking about like the long term end of the universe in terms of like cosmology and astrophysics, uh, the heat death of the universe used to be like, this is definitely what's going to happen. Like over time, the we are the evolution of the universe is going to be such that all of the stars will eventually burn out. They'll run through all of their energy, and when a star, especially massive stars, run out of energy, they just kind of explode and fluff their layers out into space in a supernova, uh, or in a, making a planetary nebula. And then, like over time, like over enough cycles of that, we will have used all of that stellar material into making planets. Uh, and then over time, black holes will start to consume more and more and more of the matter because they have this gravitational pull. And so the kind of the heat death of the universe, the end of the universe is that like everything will have been sunk into one of these gravitational wells and then the rest of the underlying matter will just slowly dissipate. Um, but they don't really think that's what's going to happen anymore. Well, it depends on who you talk to. Uh, but this idea of the universe just kind of expanding into complete dissipation is not what anybody thinks anymore. Uh, there's either like uh, the big kind of crunch scenario where everything expands out to a point and then gravity takes over and pulls everything back in to like create another big bang. So there's a cyclical universe. Um, or something else. I don't remember the other one. It also depends on the shape of the universe. But um, 
for a while there, it was really popular to just think that everything is going to to fade into nothingness and and absolute zero temperatures, and it will just be complete darkness and blackness. Um, but like while we're here, the, while there's like interesting stuff happening here, but eventually entropy will win. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that dovetails pretty well with the idea that like god is sustaining the universe that like the order we have here inherently wants to tend back to disorder and so it takes some energy to pull it back together um Hmm. but when i started my science and religion program i because people would talk about you know god has sustaining work in the universe and god is sustaining all things and i'm like what the shit is this like what the fuck is god actually sustaining because it seems to me that like humans when humans want to create order have to sustain that order because we're all kind of fighting against uh creation in order to build other things um but like i don't like i don't feel that god is sustaining my breath god isn't sustaining my lungs god isn't keeping my cells together like there are natural forces that are doing that so what Mm. is god doing uh, and I still revert back to that sometimes because I, we know me, I want a, I want a mechanism for things. So that's, that's the entropy thing is that like everything tends toward disorder and you have to put energy in to stop disorder from occurring. So when we talk about God as the sustainer theologically, what does that mean, Ethan? Hmm. Yeah. That's very interesting stuff. I, I have some, some thoughts on, how that might work, what you've just talked about in terms of the heat death and, and entropy, how that might work kind of ontologically. I have a few thoughts on that that maybe we can get to later. Um, for me, uh, when I consider God's sustaining work, um, well, honestly, I, 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 can appro- I approach it two different ways. On one hand, I approach it in this kind of... Um, what I might call devotional or kind of human centric subjective way, which I think there's truth to, you know, the, the idea that, that God is sustaining um, me as a person, you know, as, as a, as a person now, not, not just as a being, but as a, uh, as the construction that is Ethan Shear, <laughs> you know, God, has, God, there's, there's a spiritual dimension to God sustaining my mind and my heart and my body and 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 who i am in the world Um, what do you mean what do i mean by that well um i i guess i guess on one hand there's i can think of a really kind of functional way and so there's a gentleman by the name of peter berger who is a, a sociologist of religion and he wrote a really interesting book. It's, it's a dated book now, but I still find it to be very interesting. A uh, really interesting book called The Sacred Canopy, where, where he um, kind of teases out this theory of the sociology of religion as, as religion. This is primarily about religion now, but, but like I think there's a similarity to what I mean, where religion is sort of this um, bulwark against what um, folks in the sociology world call anime. Hmm. Um, do you know what anime is, Joe? I have some guesses, but just tell me. Sure. So in the sociology world, there's this, uh, uh, what we call anime. And anime um, is the phenomenon in, in, in human, li- human life 
uh, of the experience of worldlessness. Hmm. And so um, I actually quite like that, uh, that phrase. I, I use it sometimes in some of my, my papers in, in seminary. And I, and I, sometimes I got some like question marks from professors, like what exactly do you mean? Worldlessness. Um, and so uh, the experience of, human beings being divorced from their social matrix okay. uh, would be anime. Um, uh, a fellow by the name of Durkheim, Emil Durkheim. Um, yes, a very cool, very cool guy. F one of the fathers of sociology uh, sort of um, uses this word uh, to, in, to, to describe um, some of the phenomenon he was observing in his uh, very famous study on suicide mm -hmm. that that folks who um are are, are experience you know folks who attempt suicide or you know what what have you uh Berger, uh discovers this kind of experience of worldlessness that that human beings when they commit suicide sometimes one of their reasonings is uh, they everything is everything is screwed up. Every, they 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 can't find their home anymore. They can't find mm -hmm. their their place, and so anomic suicide is something that Durkheim kind of works with. Um, Berger takes kind of that theory and and then says, well, perhaps one of the things that religion does is uh, um, reinforces and strengthens the human world mm. that that religion has the ability to be a shield a, a bulwark a a, a, a a meaning system that worlds people mm. um and and keeps them from kind of descending into anime um now Berger is not talking about god Berger is is talking about religion in this kind of scientific way and there are some problems with that. Like, like he wrote this book in 63, mm. you know, there, there, it's an old book. It, it's a, it's a good book. I, I, I still think it should be required reading in seminary, to be honest. Uh, I think it's a really fascinating book. Um, and, and, and I'm sure if Berger, and Berger died in 2012, but, but I'm sure that if he had to rewrite it, he'd probably rewrite it a little differently now. Um, but, uh, but on one hand, I say all of that, to illustrate that on one hand, maybe that's something of what I mean. Okay. When I talk about God's kind of subjective or devotional sustaining of human beings, that, that there is something, um, God does something to my integrity, you know, uh, uh, reinforcing the integrity of, of people. Uh, that might be a way that I can approach God's sustaining work. And I, I think that's a really practical way. And I think that that's something like that I can wrap my brain around and I can sort of preach on, you know, that, yeah, there's something spiritual and, and sort of mystical about this. But on the other hand, it's also kind of deeply practical, like mm -hmm. folks experience God's sustaining work in the midst of trauma and trial and in the midst of good things too, you know, where they kind of look around and they're like, wow, I, I really, I really see God's providential act here, you know? Mm. Um, and so I think there's something to that, you know, when, when we, when we look upon the crucifixion of Jesus, 
we might see something like that in our own lives too. Like, like Jesus does not totally fall apart and be like, no, no, I'm not the Messiah. This is all a big fucking mistake. You know, he, he doesn't mm-hmm. say that. Like, like there's, there's something perhaps God is, is, is sustaining him in, in a really practical sense, you know, in that way. I don't know. That's one thing. The other thing I think about is sort of God's uh, sustaining work ontologically. All I mean by that is um, from this kind of metaphysical standpoint that many of you have listened to me babble about metaphysics, you know, before, and Joe has definitely let listen to me do this. Um, one of the things we say when we say that God is the source of creation is that this is, is that God is not a, um, a, uh, a sculptor. Mm-hmm. Um, a sculptor um, uses the raw materials around her and, and crafts this sculpture. And sure, there might be, you know, times where, where a, the sculptor or somebody else has to do, uh, or, or like, like an art, you know, somebody who studies art or who restores art might need to come in and, and, and repair it. Um, but that's not really what, but, but in kind of classical Christian metaphysics, that's not really what we understand, uh, God, that God is doing ontologically. God is sort of constantly creating. And, and so ontologically as the source of existence, um, God is sustaining all of creation because dynamically all the time, creation is receiving its being. Hmm. Um, God doesn't create a wind-up toy and winds it up and lets it go. That, that's actually, that, that would be uh, an incorrect way of seeing this kind of classical Christian metaphysical picture. Right. Um, right. It, it's, it's more like God is an electrical current. Hmm. Um, and and if, if the current shuts off, the power shuts off. It's over. Like it's, it's not like, you know, there is no battery God is charging. It's just, it's, we're, it's just a, a, a wire. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's another way kind of ontologically we can think of sustaining. Um, that's what I find so interesting about, that was one of my thoughts when you talked about entropy that, that made me, that made me think about that. Like as the molecules stop vibrating, uh, and and come to rest um, ontologically. At least it sounds like this to me. I am no expert. Ontologically, that still doesn't mean that that they aren't that that God isn't sustaining them. Like the even you know are the molecules still there? You know <laughs> would be would be the question, right? Like if the molecules are still there, then they are ontically there, and and there's a sense in which God is still sustaining them. The, the, the creation we are describing might be this kind of odd, nothing creation, this, this kind of, this kind of um, uh, uh, creation devoid of content, uh, yet it still is. And that isness is the key, right? Like, like that God is sustaining the isness. Um, hmm is the key like like nothingness is is sort of one of those things that like we can't really you know kind of philosophically is really hard to think about but even the way we un- we we talk about nothingness 
um, implies that it is. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That it has some kind of substance. Right. Right. Well, and so those are my long thoughts. Those are good thoughts. Uh, and that makes me think of, you know, the, the phrase in, in physics that nature pours a vacuum. So there's this, this kind of sense that uh, nothingness is not something that the universe really um, allows to continue either in and of itself, just kind of how the laws of physics are set up. Like when you think about a black hole, uh, you think about how it's kind of shielded by the event horizon and I mean, how it really functions as a, as a thing instead of as a, as a vacuum necessarily. Um, the, the other thing I think about with all this is that um, stepping down from the, the cause large scale cosmology structure, but down to quantum mechanics is there's, there's always the quantum foam. There is always this, um, I, like at the root level of existence, there are always particles popping in and out of existence. So basically borrowing energy from the universe to create matter and it comes in a matter and an antimatter pair and then it self annihilates and that energy goes back into like the, the ground of the, the universe. And, and so, um, I mean, that's, that's part of the reason why the heat death of the universe kind of, kind of falls out of, um, popularity is that we, especially when you consider Hawking radiation, which is um, at the event horizon of a black hole, if a particle pair is spontaneously created, so it borrows energy from the universe to create a particle, because this goes back to like that other famous equation, E equals MC squared. So you can get energy uh, out of matter and you can get matter out of energy as long as you have the, the right amount of conversion between the two. And so uh, a particle, an antiparticle pair can pop into existence, but if one of the pair falls into the black hole, gets like sucked in in that moment because it's right on the edge of the event horizon, then the other pair is flung off into space and it creates this type of low level radiation called Hawking radiation. Uh, and that's been observed, that's been proven to exist. And so this means that the quantum foam really actually exists, or there's another phenomenon we don't understand, but right now it means that the quantum foam is real. And so this means that regardless of, of what's happening on the large scale of the universe, on the quantum level, there is always energy. The quantum mechanics is famous because it's, it's, uh, it is our most accurate predictive system, and yet it deals in probabilities. It's not Newtonian physics where you know where this particle is going and you know its acceleration and it's going to hit this and cause this chain reaction of events. It's not anything that, um, that's certain. It requires you to use imaginary numbers in order for the predictive system to work. And so that means that particles can be in all sorts of weird places, but that inherent uncertainty in the universe, when we talk about um, divine action in like in the science and religion field, when we're talking about divine action, it means that the universe is no longer this closed system, right? It's mm -hmm. not that all of the energy and all of the matter that's ever going to be in the universe is is here and we can see it and we can name it and we can predict everything. Instead, we have this, um, unpredictable, uh, uncertain kind of foundation to the universe. And so that, that gives God, if you're thinking about like your, um, your typical understanding of miracles and how miracles are a violation of the laws of nature, if you don't want a miracle to be a violation of the law of nature, if you don't want God to be working in that kind of way, then in quantum mechanics, we have this inherent 
um, uncertainty that allows God the room to work. And so there's, there's a really lovely way to think about this in that like God is working at the quantum level and is working within this thing that we will never understand because that's just how the math works. And so even from the smallest level of the universe, God is, God is working and is sustaining and is, and is doing things. And our brains work also at that quantum level. And so if we want to think about kind of the mechanic of how God might be working in our brains and like gaining access is not the word I want, but it is the word of, I'm going to use because I'm so used to cybersecurity stuff right now. Uh, like there's a way for God to be working in our synapses and like actually interacting with us in a way that doesn't violate the laws of nature when you want to go that route with it, which is a, is a, is a, interesting rabbit hole to follow down. I don't think that helps anybody on a practical level in terms of their faith, <laughs> but when like physicists try to try to explain religion, that's, that's kind of a, a route that they go. So, so yeah, like God always has something to be working with. I, but I wonder about that electrical current thing. This is, this is what I was thinking about when you were saying that is that it makes it sound like um, we are at God's mercy to continue existing and God could just pull the plug whenever God wants to. And I don't like that conception of God. Hmm. Yeah, I, I see. I can see why you'd say that. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, honestly, I don't know how to assuage your, your kind of fears of that. Um, in this kind of particular metaphysical scheme, you know what I mean? Like, like the, the, the notion that that creation um, uh, receives their its being kind of dynamically uh, uh, does mean that that we lack a, a certain kind of autonomy you, you're correct um, on the other hand though I think that's just the definition of grace mm. um, you know what I mean like like I think that uh, sure um, if if we were sort of autonomous um in in a more ultimate sense where um we we kind of spring into existence without god uh perhaps god sets the wheels in motion and then and of of nature or of creation in motion and then we are just sort of a product of that and so in in a certain sense we kind of come at yeah, I guess God did start it, but but did God really create me? You know, well, no, I came out of existence from the union of my parents who, you know, who are a part of the natural order and, and yada, yada, yada. Um, then perhaps uh, if that were true, um, then perhaps uh, God's, uh, my relationship with God would be... Um, in the realm of the unnecessary hmm. and and from a certain definition of of gifts and grace perhaps that is more like grace i i used to think that way that's that's something that i understand but i, I don't tend to think that way anymore that uh that in order for god's action in my life to be uh truly loving or truly meaningful there must be an otherwise there must be a sense in which uh, I can really um, make that choice and, 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 and what have you. And there's some, you know, there's some thinkers that, that uh, uh, 
go down that road that I think go down that road really sophisticatedly. You know, like I talked about Douglas John Hall with you a couple months ago. And I think Douglas John Hall does go down that road really, really well. Like he, he opens that possibility up. He, he does not subscribe to a kind of classical Christian metaphysic and, and instead kind of deeply sees the world as, as one, um, one in which consent is the cornerstone. Mm-hmm. Um, however, Douglas John Hall also, because of that, and I said this to you then, all, because of that, quite logically comes to the conclusion that we can, in fact, slip into nothingness and God will fail. Right, 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 yeah. And, and I actually think those are the only two options. Um, maybe there are more options than that, but I, but I do think that, that the logic is very sound um, from Douglas John Hall's side. Like, if this were true, then... Um, uh, God is not ultimately a saving God. Hmm. He mm-hmm. could, God could save, but, uh, but, but, um, creation could just sort of opt to, to kill itself. Right. And and it seems like we kind of have a, a tendency toward that. <laughs> sure, <laughs> we're not sure. very good at choosing life. But but yes, you're exactly right. We're I agree. And 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 like really robust doctrines of like sin and evil like help us to kind of work through that. I think I think though then we 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 can't come to the man, how do I want to word this? Like like if the possibility is very real. Like it, like if 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 it is possible that ultimately, like like in the fullest ultimate ontological way, you know, creation mm-hmm. can in fact slip into nothingness. Um, then, uh, uh, because of itself, because of what it has done to itself, then uh, I don't really know how we can say it is ultimately good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like we'd have to say, no, it's possibly good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, potentially. Like yeah. it, it's potentially good. It, it's actually ultimately uh, a death cult. Uh, <laughs> Creation is a death cult. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, but, but that's kind of the flip, right? Like the, in classical Christian metaphysics, the order of death, the economy of death and creation is, is not an ultimate thing. It is an era. It is an age. It is a, it is a, an illusion. You know, it, it's a real thing, but 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 the illusory part of it is that it is ultimate. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. And and like, and and but the thing is, I think that they can only arrive at that from two things. I think the classical Christian thought arrives at that, yes, from the tradition of the apostles and the reading of the scripture and. And yada yada yada, but it also arrives at that from the set of metaphysics that they are working with. You know, like they can logically arrive at that conclusion because they know that that at the foundation of creation is God, not itself. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and and since God is the foundation of creation, 
and, and all of creation graciously receives its existence from God, then that means that creation's rebellion, um, the, the economy of death, the shadow of evil, all of those things are temporary because they have to be. Because right. ontologically, they, they aren't real. You know, they, they're not what grounds creation. And I think that when we, dis, when we, when we kind of um, um, reject that, like when we try to move away from that, I, I don't see how logically we can uphold some of the, the, the things that we confess in our faith. You know, like hope, hope isn't real. Right. Um, if, uh, if, if, you know, maybe at the, maybe at the center of creation is violence. Maybe that's the center of creation is violence. Right. Is an ontological violence instead of, instead of peace or love, you know, uh, hope isn't real then. Then it's just, then we're all just tragic heroes that, that haven't realized that, that nature is actively working against us. And because we're a part of nature, that means that we're working against us. And, and that means morality and peace and love and joy and hope. Those are the temporary things. Right. <laughs> Those are the things that are just a part of the era. And eventually they will be crushed. Um, Whew, yeah, yeah. Welcome to existentialism. Woohoo! And like, and I like that stuff. Like, like I think there's a lot of, you know, wow, it's so tragic, and and it's interesting. So I'm, I'm, we're kind of, I actually, I think this is really interesting conversation. But like, David Bentley Hart in his book, The Beauty of the Infinite, entertains for a few chap, for a few pages, this idea that Christianity is tragic. That that there, that you can do kind of tragic theology. In Christianity, the theology of tragedy and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. he entertains, you know, some really interesting thinkers on that, and and talks about how this is really appealing to us in a certain sense and kind of post-modernity. That's really where this idea of a suffering—he's like, this is where a suffering God kind of fits in as this kind of sense of tragedy and 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 the and the the sublime nature of tragedy, and and eventually David Bentley Hart kind of says you know, at least for the classical Christian tradition, um, we, we really can't go down this road. You know, it, it's just not true. Like, like Christianity isn't tragic pre- precisely because it is, uh, um, because of the ontology we say. Mm-hmm. Tragedy is not, tra- tragedy is a fleeting thing in the Christian, uh, in the classical Christian world way of thinking. It is not the basis of creation. Um, and, and then he's like, and I think he's right. And then he's like, and you know what? It would not be good news if it was the opposite. Exactly. Yeah. Christianity yeah. could not offer good news. We could only offer an opiate. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's, I think that's really uh, true. I think that's really true. Um, but that's also kind of where I'm at with it. But yeah, I understand what you mean. That that kind of that thought kind of prompted was prompted by your your sense of uncomfortableness with well God could just pull the plug at any time. You know, which I get. Like like yes, I think uh that there there's something uncomfortable about that. I agree. And 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 if you divorce uh this kind of participatory metaphysic from the notion that God is the good, 
Right, exactly. Then then yes, then you're exactly right. Like if God is is sort of um a personal being that can do what he wants, then then you're right. This this participation metaphysic is terrifying because then it's then we truly are at the mercy of of this being, this entity that can that can just end our lives whenever whenever he pleases. Yeah, and I mean, that's why I lean so hard on the idea that God is love, and that's why that is so necessary to my theology. Because mm-hmm. if God is love, then I don't have to worry about God capriciously pulling the plug, right? Like, I don't have to worry about God deciding to no longer sustain us with God's grace. But uh, if God can do whatever, I mean, God can do whatever God's, God wants, I guess. Um, but if God is um, is always going to to do the loving thing and the most loving thing, then, then of course God is going to choose the continuance of life and the, and whatever way of like seeking life abundant. Um, and if you, if you remove the God is love piece from this, then God because becomes something that is not worthy of worship anymore to me. And so it's, it's really necessary. It follows to me that, that God has to want us to be here and has to, um, it would never um, cross God's mind to pull the plug. It, that's only kind of something that we in our fallen fallen state and our um, our inability to trust in goodness come up with, you know. Right, right. Um, Augustine said would say of of love and 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 its relationship to existence. Uh, you know, I love you. I want you to be. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like, like I, I want you to exist. I want you to be because I love you. And, um, and I think that there's, there's truth to that. I think that's, I think that that's uh, pretty powerful. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting to kind of reflect on, uh, on, on God's sustaining work kind of in the midst of some of these, uh, you know, of the entropy and some of the scientific ways we kind of are observing how the world kind of slows down or, or, or dies or whatever, you know, and, and, and in moments like that, I think it's really important to, to remember at, at least in a classical Christian thinking um, where death fits, you know, and where kind of, uh, or, or nothingness, you know, there, nothingness is so, I mean, nothingness is so hard, <laughs> like, well, of course, like, like it's mm-hmm. impossible to like truly imagine, but, uh, uh, there's a ninth century thinker, uh, an Irish thinker named, uh, John Scotus Eugenia. I might be mispronouncing his last name, but he, I haven't read a ton by him. He, he's, he's a little dense, but he's a Neoplatonist Christian, and he he liked the Areopagite and the Capadocians and stuff. And one of the things he says um, that that sort of is is irrelevant to the Christian way of uh, is it irrelevant to the Christian way of thinking? I don't know. It's a little nerdy. It's a little. It's it's more. What I'm really trying to say is it's a little like I don't know how I would preach on this. Is um, another way of saying. This is him now. Another way of saying God creates out of nothing, creation ex nihilo, is is to say that God creates out of God. Mm-hmm. You know, creation ex dio, because um, there really is no such thing as nothing. You know that that there there really is 
other than creation, there is just God. Yeah. And, and so, and so does God create from nothing? Well, I mean, maybe it, it, sure. But, but perhaps a more correct way of saying that is that God creates out of God. Yeah. This is Dun you know? Scotus. No, no, this is John Scotus Eurigena. Okay. Hmm. Um, no, Dun Scotus is a is a dirty univocal theologian who. I know. So that's why I was I was confused. <laughs> no, 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 definitely not him. Uh, creation ex dio. Yes, hmm. God creates out of God, um, and and so there's a sense in which. Sure. Like, does that give creation autonomy? Well, yeah. I mean, the only autonomy that is possible, perhaps. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. Well, this has been good. This is, uh, this is definitely, like, fulfilled my need for large-scale nerdy theological talk for good. the being. <laughs> Uh, Ian has a webinar at noon, so can you sign Very us good. off? Absolutely. Friends, this has been another mini-sode of What the Hell is a Pastor. We are Spanx Reebok and the Dude, and we will see you next time. <laughs>